Greetings from Hannibal, Missouri. And welcome to Rivertown Review, the podcast. An informative and hopefully entertaining look at all things Hannibal. With Megan Rapp. People tend to come, visit, they like it here, they move here. And Harold Smith. In our biased viewpoint, this part of the country, this community is an excellent place to be from. And now, Rivertown Review, the podcast. Here we go again. It is, uh, let's see, we ought to be about up to about 42, I think now. Episode lots. A whole bunch. Yeah, we're not quite to, I I had mentioned this at a previous episode, uh, to the first really significant milestone, at least in my, you know, existence, is to get to the point where uh, our average episode is about a half hour to reach a point where if somebody wants to binge listen to every episode, it would take them 24 hours to, <laughs> to do it. And, you know, I'm not a math major, but that we would have to get to about 48, I think, to do that. And we're uh, almost there. Almost there. there. Yeah. Almost, almost yeah. in time to make sure someone loses an entire night's sleep. <laughs> That's right. And, while binging. And then some. Yes. yes. This podcast. Uh, but we, we thank you for joining us. And when uh, wherever you went to find us uh, you have noticed beginning with this episode some new what they call it in the podcasting biz artwork our our logo the uh, the place where you go oh there it is and we've had of course the iconic uh, image of the mark twain statue at uh, riverview park we've had that for our first year and we figured uh, well, I figured anyway, it's been a year. It's, it's about time to, to freshen things up a little bit. In the digital world, a year is like, it's like, kind of like dog years. So we've had it for basically a decade now. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like a very long time, but then, but then I'm thinking, okay, well, so what do we do it? And a recurring theme, it seems like as we've gone along, as we talk about what, what motivated Mark Twain and what's motivated so many people that have come here and lived here is the river. It's been all about the river. So some picture depicting that. And uh, I, I had taken some pictures, uh, you know, the, the, of course, the, I mean, the, the most panoramic view of the river can is from the top of Lover's Leap. Uh, and I had some pictures of those. I'm going, no, not really. But then uh, as we record this, it's been, I don't know, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, some, something like that. There was, they do this every year in Hannibal and just up the river in Canton, Missouri. They have what they call, and I, I know I don't pronounce it right. Uh, it's a French term. Plein air. Plein air, something like that. It's, uh, it is where uh, artists come in from all over the region uh, and they spend a day in Canton and they spend a day in Hannibal and they pick a spot and they paint they create art from whatever wherever their vantage point is and then at the end of the day they have an art show and an art sale so you can literally buy a painting that was just created that day fresh art made for you take it home with you exactly Exactly. yeah custom made yes indeed and there was there was a painting um our friend michael Gaines, who has been on this podcast before uh the executive director of the hannibal arts council he posted on the arts council facebook page that weekend uh some of the different paintings and there was this one and i'm going that's it 
that's the shot that I want. We need for that our, artwork. We, we do indeed. And uh, I the next day, uh, on that Monday, Michael was here, uh, and uh, I, I told him that story, and he said, I know the artist. Let me talk to him. That was on Monday, and on Wednesday, I get an email from Michael saying that he spoke to the artist, and we had permission to use the image. So our, our shout-out goes to a gentleman by the name of John Preston. He is from Fairfield, Iowa, and he painted a watercolor, and the name of it was Hannibal Wet and Wild, <laughs> which, you know, just... You've seen the picture. It Yeah, you're going wet but, and wild. But, yeah, I, uh, who whatever. knows? Yeah, Artist but, prerogative, you can name your artwork whatever you would like. Exactly. To so, me, it's an idyllic view of the river yeah. and a pretty bridge and trees, but, you know, it's yeah, okay. it's Yeah, fine, whatever, whatever <laughs> strikes you at the time. So, yes, our thanks to John Preston for allowing us to use that as our new artwork for the Hannibal Rivertown Review podcast moving forward. So, yeah. uh, so our ma- many, many thanks to him. And... I, this this year, or in dog years, you know, however many years we've been doing this. Several decades. Yes, it seems like that. Yeah. I I have been, of course, I mean, you're the historian. You've got the, the fancy education and all this stuff. And I'm just a guy trying to pay attention. Uh, but I have learned so much. And one of the things that, that I learned about when it came, comes to Mark Twain, and I've, I first read about this because there was uh, just – up the, up the road on the Illinois side of the river, John Wood Community College, uh, they had a program about this. And apparently there's a play that was created about this. I never knew about a relationship between Mark Twain and uh, first, uh, ge- first general and then president Ulysses S. Grant. Yes, and I um, need to be better about remembering that not everyone knows all of the random esoteric Mm, snippets of history that mm. <laughs> that I've lived for the last 15 years. And so I am very glad, Harold, that you um, brought that up because it is a very fascinating uh, piece of of Hannibal history in, in, in and of the fact that it's related to Mark Twain. And of course, Mark Twain was, was born and he was raised here in Hannibal um, and is still so very honored here in Hannibal. Yeah, and and, and, Ulys- and and Ulysses S. Grant. I mean, his roots are in Illinois, and he, mm-hmm. you know, um, Galena, Illinois, which is a, I mean, a tourist stop. Uh, I mean, not not unlike Hannibal as far as the, the draw. It's a river town and that kind of thing, and that's his was his home area. But it, there there was there's a connection between those two. You you are always you know it's it's always surprising when you when you hear these big names and you think oh oh yeah they. Maybe they knew each other. So <laughs> a lot of um, people, especially that are f- followers or um, are interested in learning more about the Civil War or um, or biographies of presidents, are familiar with the memoirs of Ulysses S. Grant. Apparently that is the go-to memoir when it comes to the Civil War in general, Ulysses Grant in particular. Uh, yes, and, and there, are, there are many scholars that consider it the, the greatest military memoir ever written. Sure. So I mean, it is the the, the paragon of 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 memoirs, um, and like I said, I think many of our our readers, if they have not read it, they will at least have heard of its existence. But to me, the fascinating thing was how it came to be, how the how this this memoir came to be written, and and then and. 
the relationship between Grant and Twain coming about? Most definitely. Um, you know, they were, <laughs> unfortunately, later <laughs> later in life, they, they had some, some similarities mm-hmm. in, in and of the fact that um, Twain made some poor investments in his life. Yes, he did. And unfortunately, later in life, uh, so did Grant. Mm-hmm. Um, he was... Uh, how, how, how did how did you put it? Um, the the victim of a basically uh, what amounted to a Ponzi scheme. He uh, invested uh, a good bit of money. Uh, you were telling me he he borrowed some money to invest. Um, we'll give full credit to this this joker. Uh, Ferdinand Ward uh, was an, inv- an uh, investment banker uh, in New York, and- known as the Young Napoleon of Wall Street. <laughs> At, at only 33. <laughs> That'll give you an idea right there. Yeah. Uh, turned out to be a 19th century Bernie Madoff. <laughs> Pretty and, much. And he made off all right. Oh, oh yes. With everybody's money, including Grant's. Including Grant's. And not only Grant's money, um, but it was actually uh, Grant's, Grant's son, um, you know, kind of helped along. And, uh, and he also, um, Grant also contacted his uh, his friend um, you know Mr. Vanderbilt mm-hmm. and uh, in talking uh, with Mr. Vanderbilt basically Mr. Vanderbilt said I wouldn't give him a dime don't do it <laughs> don't do it no um, however uh, he said that his relationship with Grant mattered more to him than his belief in the fact that this wasn't going to work. So he made him a personal loan of $150,000 to Ulysses S. Grant, which Grant then in turn gave over to Ward. Which I mean, $150,000, I mean, that's, that's a chunk of change today. But if you translate what that was, a hundred and in the 1880s in the 1880s yeah that you translated that into today's dollars and wow as a whole as a whole lot of money a whole whole lot lot. big chunk of change so unfortunately um after the ponzi schemer took off with all of the money um grant was um obviously he, he was a man of of integrity um, now, at that time, former presidents didn't have pensions. I mean, he didn't have right. he didn't have a pension. Yeah, yeah. Um, we we we, uh, we talked about that. With it didn't start until uh, until Harry Truman was the first was the first president to it, get a pension. Exactly. So mm-hmm. you think, oh, well, but he was a general. He was a president. He must have had he, no, nope, no, not nope. back then. Um, so Vanderbilt offered to forgive the loan, um, but Grant refused, and um, he actually gave him. With um, some of his medals, his uniforms, um, and other objects from from his from his illustrious past, mm-hmm. um, and and with that, Vanderbilt considered the debt settled. Um, so he actually, so as as a man of integrity, Grant said, "No, you're here, medals, et cetera, et cetera." Um, interestingly enough, um, with his um, with his wife's permission, uh, Julia, who was. Mm-hmm. Um, Ulysses Grant's wife, um, with her permission, Vanderbilt later donated those historical items to the Smithsonian, ah. and that's and and they are there to this day. Um, so he lost all of this money. He gave many important items to Vanderbilt, and then you know bankrupt. 
and then he gets his cancer diagnosis. Yes, big big time. Um, so you know, just. Thank you for joining us for the Hannibal Rivertown Review Podcast. We'll get back to the show in just a moment. We want to remind you that if you like what you're hearing, be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. Also, for comments and suggestions, you can email us at rivertownreview at gmail.com and visit us at rivertownreview.com and Rivertown Review on Facebook. Yeah, talk about uh, yeah, a one-two punch, yeah, uh, becoming bankrupt and then being diagnosed with advanced throat cancer. Yes, he'd start out with pain at the base of his tongue uh, that made him difficult for, for him to eat. He was 62, and, um, and yep, he, uh, he, he, had, he had cancer. Of course, it was terminal at the time. Um, so he met with a publisher at uh, the Century Company who offered him a deal to write his memoirs. And it just so happened, the fates, fortune, however you want to put it, smiled upon Grant at this moment. Because it just so happened that Mark Twain, who was a friend of his, was there um, during this meeting. And um, he, he knew a publishing deal was in the works. And what Century was going to give him was 10% of the royalties, which was considered low for even an unknown author yeah. at the time. So even if you were a complete unknown person, 10% of the royalties of a book was, I mean, they were trying to fleece him, absolutely yeah. fleece him. Take, take advantage of uh, the fact that he had no choice but to do it and he was on borrowed time trying to do it. And, and, and he had already made um, kind of a, 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 an agreement. You know, Century, he said, you know, Twain said, don't do it. Do not do it. That is an awful, awful deal. Um, hold off on signing that contract. Grant felt honor bound um, because he had, uh, you know, Century had come to him first. And so he felt, well, he felt honor bound. Then Twain reminded him that he had offered to publish Grant's memoirs years before. And so, and, and at this time, so of course, you know, Grant is depressed. He's bankrupt. Twain's not doing so well himself right now. No. <laughs> he had just, if you want to talk about money, <laughs> um, Twain was fresh off of his um, failed investments for the, what was called the page compositor, which was um, a typesetting machine. Now, back in those days, you know, Mark Twain was a... Um, uh, started out in the newspaper industry and, sure. and you set type individually letter by letter letter by letter he knew there had to be a different way so he was kind of obsessed with it throughout his entire life he was convinced that this page compositor typesetting machine was going to revolutionize the newspaper industry and he as such he had sunk more than three hundred thousand dollars into this unfortunately the page typesetter machine became obsolete because the linotype machine came out. Aha, that'll do it. <laughs> so he was he was on the right track with with revolutionizing. He was just on the wrong train. Right. Put it that way. That's right. Yes, that'll um, work. He'd also had a manuscript he'd been working on for over a decade that he was you know off and on just kind of kind of stuck. And so um, so he came uh, at a, at a good time. So he said, you know, that deal is not. You don't want that deal. No way. No way. Um, 
you, you know, I offered to do this years ago, so you are not breaking your, your, your promise. And so he convinced him to um, sign with what would become Charles L. Webster and Company. So that's the publishing company that Twain formed with his niece's husband and who published many of Twain's works. Um, he tried to give him, to give Grant a $10,000 um, advance. He refused it because he was afraid his book might lose money. <laughs> Ulysses Grant was afraid his book might use, lose money. Uh -huh. And so he did agree to accept $1,000 for living expenses while he wrote it. And, um, and Twain was recorded as saying, it was, a, it was a shameful thing that a man who had saved his country and its government from destruction should still be in a position where so small a sum, $1,000, could be looked upon as a godsend. Yeah. So over the next year, Grant was, became more and more sick. Um, he wrote when he, was, when he was too sick to write. He dictated. Um, he moved to the Adirondacks for fr the fresh air. And um, Twain, you know, closely supervised the writing, and he, and he finally, um, at that time, he finished his own manuscript, little little book called Ventures of Huckleberry Finn. Aha! Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> that that yeah. seemed to work out well for him later. Uh, yes, it did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, that was, that was a good year for the Charles L. Webster Company. <laughs> I, I'd say so. Something else I didn't know. He, he, was, he was stuck on uh, for 10 years b before finishing... Huckleberry Finn. It was one of the hardest books. He, yeah, it took him over a decade to finish Huckleberry Finn. Would you even use the word arguably to say that that was that is considered to be his greatest work? Um, most, yeah, I I would not say that's an overstatement. Most people consider Huckleberry Finn to be Mark Twain's seminal novel. Yeah, and yeah. so um, so yeah, they uh, they they got. Both books published. Um, the uh, for Grant, um, you know, he he finished a few days before before he died. Yeah, and and in it, in what I have the material I've seen is that I mean his, you know, Grant's prime purpose, his main reason for doing this was, I mean, knowing that he was dying, knowing he was going to die, he wanted to make sure. That his that Julia was taken care of after he died. Exactly, and she was. His his wife Julia, um, you know, as as we'd said before, you know, Twain had offered to help, you know, publish his memoirs years before. It was just something that he was never done. Once he found out that he had cancer, that's that's why he was doing it. He wanted to make sure that Julia was provided for, and um, because of the um, the publishing and and the way that the Twain helped with that julia's um royalties earned four hundred and fifty thousand dollars which yeah. in today's money i believe they say it's around like 10 to 11 million yeah that yeah I, that the numbers i have here are just just about that yeah that's right yeah they um yeah she, the book the book did well continues to uh, the personal memoirs of ulysses s grant um it's the, the the what i have in front of me says was one of the most proclaimed books to come out of the post-civil war era most definitely i mean it was an immediate success um because people that had lived through that time obviously they um when when grant died um his funeral march 
1885 was the longest procession in American history to that time, with more than 60,000 members of the U.S. military marching behind the funeral car, um, bearing Grant's casket, and it was drawn by 25 black stallions. Pallbearers included generals from both the Union and the Confederate armies. I mean, so this man was, uh, you know, mourned the the you know the entire country mourned and obviously they wanted to um read his memoirs and that saved that saved julia from bankruptcy indeed and and something else that i that i ran across uh, uh, was mark twain not only of course publishing the book for him but also uh, had a kind of a marketing campaign that went on uh, to uh, to to help sell the book uh, talked about using former veterans. They canvassed the northern states. Usually they dress in their old military uniforms, selling the books. It allowed them to sell both initial printings, about 350,000 books uh, at the time of his death. Uh, of course, very popular, as you say, very popular in the north. Um, the, um, you know, the, he used that popularity, Twain did, to, to increase book sales. Uh, it, and it says, in addition, each set included a letter that appeared to be a handwritten note from the great general himself, which increased the popularity. Uh, yeah, if any, if anybody knew marketing before there was such a thing as marketing, quote unquote, it was Mark Twain. It's the Tom Sawyer principle. What? Yes. <laughs> That's uh, right. I guess I will give you the honor of painting this fence for me, but what are you going to give me for it? So, uh, yeah, he knew how to wag the dog. Um, oh, yeah. And, and, and back in those days, you uh, the um, books were sold by subscription. So people signed up to buy the book before the book was ready. It's not like you'd go to the bookstore and you have bunches, bunches, bunches of copies. You wanted the subscription so that you would know how many copies to print. Because if you already had a guaranteed 50,000 copies sold, boom, you're, you're good. You're you good betcha. to go. So, yeah, having, having people dressing <laughs> up in their... I mean, come on, how are you going to say no? To a union soldier, that's right. No, I don't want to buy Ulysses S. Grant's (laughs) memoirs. I mean, come on. Exactly. It's like when Girl Scouts come to your door. How how are you going to say no? You're not going to buy cookies. Just, yeah, give me me all your thin mints and nobody gets hurt. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. That is how that works. And, 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 of course, this was, this were, this is 1880s. And if I remember correctly, I mean, Mark Twain wasn't even done when it came to financial, uh, you know, uh, reversals along the way. No, um, no, he was not. <laughs> um, and and actually, he when he was visiting Grant, um, like I said, with that serendipitous meeting to keep him from getting only 10% of the royalties of that book, mm-hmm. um, he was actually finishing up one of his world lecture tours to get himself out of bankruptcy after the page uh, compositor and... I mean, Twain went bankrupt several times. So. Yeah. Oh, but yeah. he, uh, you know, like Grant, um, always paid off his his debts. He would go on these whirlwind lecture tours all around the world doing readings from his books. I mean, because this is pre-Huckleberry Finn. I mean, that's... Sure. So, I mean, you've got Tom Sawyer. You've got collections of short stories and things, but... <sighs> and, then, and then there was one, hey, help me out, he, he, he needed to generate cash so he did the world tour did the lectures and then wrote what what there was a book that came out of one of those world tours was was it innocence abroad well there's there's uh there's a tramp abroad and there's innocence abroad okay um so yeah he he would do um the 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 more travel travel narratives um along with 
uh, his his lecture his lecture yeah. tours. Hey, you, hey, you got to spin straw into gold, man. You got to. <laughs> and he did it. He he, oh, he knew how to do it. Yeah, he most definitely did. So if you didn't know that there was a connection between Grant and and Twain, if if not Hannibal, you know, um, mm-hmm. now you know. Now you know. That's right. And and we we hope that you have enjoyed this because uh, the the yeah. Sometimes people will get the question, you know, you'll see the question on Facebook or whatever. If you didn't wind up doing what you're doing now, what as an occupation, what would you have done? What would have been plan B for you? And I have, and I've always thought, of course, you've got, you've got, uh, you know, teaching in, in your family, uh, as far you know, that kind of thing, but you know, you're, uh, and I'd, I'd like to think I'd, I'd have been maybe a history teacher or something like that, you know, cause I'm, I'm, you know, being in the news biz, you know, it's just, it's not history yet. Uh, it's just, it's, you're reporting on the history of the future history. That's <laughs> the, history. <laughs> the history as it's being made. Yeah, there you go. I'd say that's, that's right. We're not, we're not a news station. We're a history of the future station. <laughs> exactly. That's a promo just waiting to happen. Absolutely. I don't think it's a winning promo. <laughs> uh, probably not. No, 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 even Mark Twain couldn't, couldn't make a marketing plan out of that. That would work. I, <laughs> I don't, I don't think so. No, but no. you know, we, uh, again, we appreciate you guys tuning in. Um, anybody with any interest in the Civil War, which is amazing how many people are Civil War buffs or, um, you know, whether whether it be they just enjoy reading biographies and memoirs or learning more about that time period or being reenactors. I mean, it's, it's of course, a huge part of American history. We can't really do a Civil War piece on Mark Twain because he was in a, a group of Confederate irregulars for all of about two weeks and then took out took off out west so this is about as close as we can get he he, he couldn't he couldn't be a riverboat pilot anymore so he headed west yeah pretty much wound up in nevada that's where basically he spent the civil war (laughs) so so, but this way we got some you know good civil war presidential history civil war stuff in here that's right and somehow managed to tie it to hannibal Uh, that we still got that in there you betcha mark twain would be proud yes he would (laughs) wherever he is he's yeah 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 he didn't just Take the didn't put on the white suit just because he liked white suits. That was that was marketing. That was marketing. You man. better believe it. Yeah. yeah. We hope you've enjoyed this. I'm Harold Smith and I'm Megan Rapp. And uh, we thank you for joining us for the Hannibal Rivertown Review podcast. We'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us for Rivertown Review the podcast. For more information on all things Hannibal, visit our website, RivertownReview.com. If you have comments, questions, or suggestions for future episodes, please email us at rivertownreview at gmail.com. And be sure and join Megan and Harold next time for Rivertown Review, the podcast. <laughs>